Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at amazon.com slash instant eraser foundation. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Urban Outfitters, Sephora, and Nike. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Scott still appears to be vacant and emotionless, even with the mask on. One day after convicted murderer Scott Peterson was resentenced in a Redwood City courtroom, Peterson's half-sister says she still has no doubt that he's guilty of killing his pregnant wife, Lacey, on Christmas Eve, 2002. The behavior that I witnessed from Scott after Lacey disappeared was not that of a grieving husband or a father-to-be. It was that of a roving bachelor. In the weeks after Lacey's disappearance, Scott Peterson sometimes stayed with Bird and her family at their Berkeley home. Went to the store and got cocktail mix to make something called sextinis, and he was serving them to our babysitter. Just the lack of interest in looking for Lacey was... Um, very apparent. Welcome to Real Crime Profile. I'm Lisa Zambetti, my casting director. I have a real interest in real crime and these magnificent minds that solve these crimes and track down what really happened and cut through all the noise on these high, high profile cases that we're still talking about 18 years later. And with me today is... I'm Jim Clemente, retired FBI profiler, former New York City prosecutor, right producer of CBS's Criminal Minds. And... I'm Laura Richards, criminal behavioral analyst, former New Scotland Yard and host of the podcast Crime Analyst. And we're back discussing in detail the case of Lacey and the unborn baby, as far as I'm concerned, Connor Peterson. It's a really horrific case. It's so distressing. And just because time has passed, it makes it no less distressing for her family, who, my goodness, they've gone through through so much and they may well be going through another trial in the future. We don't know yet, but where we left off, Jim and Lisa, 
we were going through the timeline in detail and we had talked about December the 23rd. And I think we really need to cover now December the 24th, which was Christmas Eve. And of course, a lot of this is also from Scott Peterson's account. So that's what we have to bear in mind. But there are some time date stamps for certain activities, aren't there? There are some receipts. So we can start to build a coherent picture of what went on. So who wants to start us off? Well, I just have a question. Before we get into what Scott Peterson says happened that morning, do we know exactly when he was seen leaving the home that morning, December the 24th, Christmas Eve morning, presumably on his way to work? We're about to get into that timeline, Lisa. Okay. So we do have a receipt. Yes. Great. There is a receipt from him making a call to pick up his voicemails. Now, it doesn't tell us exactly where he is from the mast, but it does tell us that he's on his way to the warehouse. And that's where he said he was going to go. And that time is 10.08 in the morning. So this is so, very important. Yeah, very, yeah, very important. It's important because he says that she gets up at 8 a.m. And now it's two hours later that he's somewhere on his way to the warehouse, which isn't far from their house, which is fairly close to their house versus where he ended up going fishing, which was 90 minutes away. So, yeah, we know that somebody logged onto the computer, there's a difference between, you know, searching for specific items and pop-ups coming up, but I don't know what happened. But the fact is, we don't know who logged onto that computer, whether it was Scott or Lacey, but it was one of them. And it may be that Scott did it. And it may be that Lacey did it. I don't know. But it was right around that time where Scott called in for his messages that their next door neighbor found their dog with the leash on wandering in the street in front of their house. And she sees the dog there and brings the dog to, to the side gate and puts the dog into, you know, the side gate so he could go into the backyard. And the significant thing about that is that was specifically timed at about 10, 17 or 10, 18 AM. And Although there are a number of people who, quote, cited Lacey walking the dog, those sightings were all after that time, were all after 10, 17 a.m. So those sightings, not that these people were lying, but they may have gotten the day wrong. They may have seen her the day before and confused it. As we know, eyewitness testimony is the least reliable testimony that can come into a court of law. but. It is something that many, many times people just get wrong. I mean, if we go back to that computer search, I mean, that computer log on, whoever it was by, and I think it's important that we can't say who it was by, but inferences have been made that the sunflower was something that Lacey had a tattoo of a sunflower on her and she did love sunflowers. So I think a lot of people have made that inference that it was Lacey. But we don't know, do we? We don't know for sure. I mean, you could have the situation where Scott's logged on and she's just jumped on the computer and, you know, she's looking at things, but not specifically at those items. And of course, we know with algorithms, they get, they're very clever at picking out things that you like. Mm -hmm. Now, what Scott basically said is, I just want to get back up because this was his account. He said that they woke up at about 
ate and ate cereal and that Lacey ate cereal and he explained because she was pregnant, she felt sick and therefore eating was important. Well, at eight months, you're kind of through the nausea or I certainly was. So I thought that was odd that he talked about nausea and that's why she ate straight away, but that may have been the case and that they had watched Martha Stewart. And of course, when it comes to what happened at court, he did quite accurately quote what was on Martha Stewart, which was making meringues. And we know that Lacey was into cooking and so on. So is all of that relevant? Well, it did become relevant at court because Geragos basically challenged what was in the opening statement by the prosecution where they got some of the details wrong. And I think that hurt the case around credibility. So again, a minor detail that might not seem significant of what show it was, when it was watched, what were they talking about? Well, it gave Geragos room to not the credibility of the prosecution's case. And it wasn't the first time, just around the timeline and what went on. And Jim, what we also knew was not just someone logging onto the computer, but 9.30 to 10.30 is what went the time that Scott says Lacey was mopping the floor, which again, I thought was very peculiar given that the housekeeper had been the day before. Why would she be mopping the floor early the next morning? And of course, right. we know he gave an account when Diane Sawyer pressed him on it. And he said, well, we've got a dog and, and two cats. And she didn't follow up on the question and say, right. but it was early in the morning. You know, you could understand if you, it was right. late in the day, right? But why would she be remopping the floors early when they've only just gotten up? That That didn't make sense to me. Well, what makes more sense is that he used that to cover it up. It was quick thinking. But the fact is that he filled up that bucket with water. And if there was a crime scene in that kitchen, he probably used it to to clean it up. And that that's why he had to mention. And that's why he he said that she was mopping the floor. But, you know, clearly, here's a guy who who, you know, doesn't give a damn about her. If in his own account, he will leave her to mop the kitchen floor at eight months pregnant while he goes off fishing. And he thinks that's a wonderful thing. And that just shows you what kind of person he is. And for all these people who fall for him, who think he's like, you know, God's gift, are they're just they're just falling for this crap, this this completely incomprehensible, you know, bullshit story that he gave. And I agree, you know, it, it might make him a, a lousy husband, which he is. Christmas Eve, and he's going off and leaving her to do all these chores. And then he calls her to give her another chore on top of all the chores <laughs> right, whilst right. he's just been off mm -hmm. having a lovely time on the water. I mean, that is not a glorious relationship, quite frankly. This is a man who did think of a lot of things. This is a man who set up a bunch of things in advance. He tells his girlfriend that he's having an affair with, that his wife is gone for the holidays. Okay. That's how far in advance he's planning these things because he just thinks, well, you know, she's going to be gone. Everything's going to be out of my hair. Nobody's going to be able to find her. I'll just go on and have my affair and then, you know, get with Amber until I'm tired of her. But the fact is that he engaged in a lot of staging. If he's the one that killed Lacey and Connor, then he engaged in a tremendous amount of staging to try to cover up and give himself some credibility. He knew he couldn't ha he didn't have an alibi for the time she was actually killed. So what he had to do was come up with a story and then 
salt it with little tidbits of truth so that he could weave his lies around them. And that's what liars do. I mean, they try to take a little bit of, of the truth and then weave a story, a lie, a fabrication around it. Yes. And that's what we see him doing consistently across the relationship with Amber and quite possibly with the two other women that he had had relationships with. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So we know at 10.08, he calls his voicemail. We get a time date stamp on that. He goes to the warehouse nine minutes away, uses his computer there. There's another time date stamp. And as you said, Jim, what's going on at home? Well, 10.18 is what I've got documented as neighbor Karen, who sees Mackenzie, their lab outside the home with the leash on. She puts the dog back in their yard, shuts the gate between 10.57, 11.15am, Scott says he cleaned up his office and assembled a new saw, a new tool that he had ordered. And then he decides not to play golf because it's too cold. And he drives to Barclay Marina, the hour and 36 minute drive. And 90 minutes is a long way to go, particularly he's got the receipts, right? So we know he was there. He launches the boat. I think it's at, at he's got the receipt for 1254, and that's what he gives to the police. So it's not in contention where he was. He's back by 211. And there is an account by a number of people saying that they just watched him trying to put the boat in the water and to get the boat out of the water. So that would cut his fishing time. Right. We we have to agree on that, right? So yes. he's probably fishing for an hour, maybe less than an hour. That's a long way to go for such a short period of so time. Three hours it? of driving, at least, you know, 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes of boat getting in and boat getting out of the water. Three that's three and a half hours wasted on a one hour fishing trip. Well, when we talk to Bobby Chacon, we're gonna find out a hell of a lot more. Yeah. He is the head of the FBI's dive team. He created the user team, the underwater search and recovery team. And he was actually part of this investigation. And he has some really 
interesting insights that he's going to share with us and really put all of this fishing trip into context. The fishing trip where he goes near to Brooks Island, which is where he said that he fished. And we're going to ask Bobby about that. But that's important because we know that he did some searches for fishing for the currents, for the tides, but for Brooks Island specifically in December, early December, December 9 or 10. So that's interesting that he's doing the research then for a trip that just turned out to be spur of the moment. But the fact that he spends so little time on the water and and also Jim and Lisa, I mean, I said that, you know, I've been fishing before. What I was always told about fishing is you go early in the morning or late at night, right? And my partner, before he would night fish. So he'd go and sit on the riverbank and go out on a boat. But they, they'd always go when they felt the fishes were going to be around because it maximizes your opportunity of catching fish. It just struck me as interesting that this was the time that he chose to go. So again, the spur of the moment trip seemingly quite interesting for him to drive all that way with an eight-month pregnant wife who he hasn't told that he's driving all that way because we know that when he leaves the marina he calls her and we're going to get into the the timings because again it just seems interesting that at, at 212 he calls friends when he's on his way home but he calls Lacey at 215 and this is a message I think we've all heard and we're we're play it on real crime profile but he says hi beautiful I'm leaving Barkley Marina and the the high beautiful just didn't sound natural to me. Maybe that's how he always talks to Lacey. I don't know because you know we haven't got a baseline on that. But the fact that he says I'm leaving Barkley Marina, well, she didn't even know that he was going there. So it seems like an odd thing to say. Not oh, I changed my mind. I changed my mm-hmm. trip. I decided to actually go fishing. Right. I'm now leaving Barkley Marina. And you know what? I'm running late, so I'm going to probably get home at about 4.45. Don't worry, I'm still going to make the dinner, right? Isn't that what you would say in detail about you know your timing so that your partner knows, but you're still going to be there? But instead, he just asked her to pick up this basket for Popper because he didn't have time. He doesn't say sorry, and then he hangs up the phone. I mean, that just strikes me as a call where he was giving a time date stamp. And that's right. what I didn't know much about the case. But when I heard it, I was like, whoa, that just sounds very screams, artificial. Screams alibi, right? It screams yes. that everything is wonderful. Everything's nice. I have no cares in the world. I am just driving in traffic and I'm putting another yet another thing on my pregnant wife, who is apparently scrambling around at this time in his mind. Uh, mopping the floor and getting ready for this dinner. So again, it's one more level of implausibility. So you had mentioned earlier that he had gone online and was looking up how to assemble a particular tool and that the police later found that tool assembled in his warehouse. But they also found a piece of plywood where he had formed, he says, one acre for the boat by putting uh, concrete into flower pots and putting a you know a hook in the top of it so you can tie a rope to it he says that that he made one of them and basically the law enforcement says it looked like he had made at least 5 of them and of course you don't need 5 anchors for any boat typically you have one but if you're going to weigh somebody down, a body down, for example, you might want to have multiple anchors. 
you'd either have to have one very heavy anchor or a number of smaller anchors to weigh down a body. I'm wondering why, why was he so determined to go to SF Bay to fish that day? There are a lot of other places that he could have chosen to go fishing. In fact, his de facto father-in-law went fishing that same morning. You know, it's Christmas Eve morning. Maybe you have some time off. People do things. But it's, it's but he not, doesn't have a pregnant wife who's eight right, months pregnant. Right. But what I'm saying is it's not necessarily a crime to want to do something for yourself special during the holidays. But to drive all that way when there are other locations that he could have gone, it's like, what is drawing him to go there? Well, yeah, I, I, I have just, a theory around why he chose there specifically. But I also, you know, just want to say before we talk to Bobby that we know it's very unpredictable and dangerous waters. I mean, everything I've read about certain parts of the bay is that it's dangerous and unpredictable. So taking out a little aluminium boat when you're not that experienced, that seems, and Jim's already mentioned the wind conditions and so on, it it seems quite treacherous to decide to go there as opposed to lots of other places or even to go out with Ron or someone else, which would be wise given the fact that your wife's going to give birth quite soon. And you'd tell her at the very least. But I think we've already heard a lot about other pregnant women who allegedly went missing. And that came up in the Hulu documentary. And I ferociously wrote down seven women going missing in such a short period of time. Did that happen? Question mark. And one particular woman, Evelyn Hernandez, did go missing. And she went missing in May and her body was found in the San Francisco Bay on the 24th of July, 2002, underneath the city's landmark Bay Bridge. And there wasn't a huge amount of media about it, but she disappeared one week before her due date. She was a Latin woman. And I do wonder if that's the reason why there wasn't much media. We've talked Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. black and brown missing People and women specifically don't tend to get a huge amount of media or interest. But she also went missing, not just heavily pregnant, but also with her five-year-old son. And it's really a horrific case. Her hands and her feet and her head were missing, and her baby was never found, and nor was Alex. And she was reported missing on May the 7th, 2002, by her man, the father of the baby, And that piqued my interest because you have to wonder about similar cases, right? You know, how many women did go missing, particularly with this being six months before. But Jim and Lisa, when I read into the case and found out that Evelyn didn't know that he was married and that was new information to her, I wondered whether she challenged him or something went on or threatened to expose him. And then she disappeared because that's the circumstance where I tend to see pregnant women being killed, Mm. not gangs abducting women or human trafficking or these sorts of things that are being put into the the zeitgeist now um, or just sowing the seed. And the fact that he then lawyered up immediately and his wife gave him an alibi and then they left the area, it's still an unresolved case. And San Francisco police still want people to call them with information about the case, but he was the prime suspect. And it just made me wonder, what if, I don't know if Lisa, that was a similar line that you were thinking, but when I went into that case, I did just feel it seemed to be a case that could be relatively easily resolved and all 
signals seem to point to to the husband to to the man that she was seeing. And it's a horrific case because it wasn't just her and the baby, it was the five-year-old son as well. But what if Scott Peterson had seen that, read that, heard about that? What if that was what was in his mind and then he decided to go to the San Francisco Bay? Because like you, Lisa, why else would you go to such a treacherous and tricky and challenging area with an aluminium boat that you've never put in the water before, you've never taken out of the water before? Right. We used to spend most of our summers on the water in a boat on an island off Spain. So we as a family were always used to dealing with boats and when you're mooring the boat and so on. But to go off on your own when this is the first time you're putting the boat into the water, into that body of water, it just struck me as very bizarre. And do we know if he if that really was the first time he put it? I mean, is there a chance that he could have put it in the water sometime uh the 23rd, the night of the 23rd, put her in the, this is just my, my mind just went, he did this on the 23rd and was very worried that maybe he didn't do it well enough. And so was drawn to, I've got to go back. That's why he didn't go golfing after all. He had planned to use the golfing as his alibi, um, but then thought, you know what? She may be floating. She may not have sunk the way I thought she would. And so he went back out there to to see. I mean, I don't know. That's where my mind went, but that's probably farther down the road. That's a very difficult thing to do. I mean, he would have to sneak the boat out, sneak it down to the ramps, get her out there, get her back. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot involved there. And there are a lot of entry points that are not monitored in the, in the San Francisco Bay area. Well, I mean, people. Oh yeah, of course there are. Right. But it's difficult to get a boat into the water unless it's Mm a, you know, a boat ramp. But anyway, especially if he's not sophisticated at doing it. But that's what uh, Laura, what you were saying, that's what Catherine Cryer says in her book. That's t- the statistic. And I think you've said this before, that the highest cause of death for pregnant women in America is homicide, not preterm complications, not losing your balance and falling or or some kind of accident, but homicide. And who is doing that homicide? I mean, probably their intimate partners. So anyway. I think that that's a fascinating yeah, well, point that you not, bring up. Not Laura. just probably, it's not just probably. It's the the highest percentage of them are are killed by by their intimate partners. There's no question about it. There's just no equivocating. That's why that person, the people closest to the victim, are going to have to be ruled out before anybody outside is looked at. And the stats even higher for black or brown women. And and that's the point that that's who they're most at risk from. It's not from being abducted by strangers in vans who then force you to give birth, who then kill the baby once you've given birth and kill you. There are those cases, but they're rare and they don't have all these other extenuating circumstances around them. And, And that's the point with this case. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. 
Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. But the timeline is important because we don't know absolutely everything, but Scott certainly seems to pull out the receipts when they're needed. We know that he did leave the marina. We know that he did call Lacey. We know that he called her twice, actually. He called her again, and she didn't pick up. Now, that's at 3.52 p.m. after he'd pulled over for gas at 3.25 to 4 p.m. So in that timeline, that's important. He doesn't leave a message for her. Now, I'm curious about that as well, Jim and Lisa, that you've been away, you've left one voicemail for your eight-month pregnant partner. You, you don't haven't hear, heard back from her. You right? haven't heard back from her. Would you not be slightly worried? And the fact that he just calls and he doesn't leave a message and he doesn't even talk about that later on that he was concerned just seems an oddity again to me. There are so many oddities, but he gets back to the warehouse at about 4.13 and he unhooks the boat and he looks at a fax that comes through about an order and he leaves the the warehouse at 4.24 p.m. and he's back home between 4.30 and 4.45. And when he gets back home, the house is unlocked, which that on its own might not raise a question, but the fact the dog's still got a leash on and in the backyard that seems to be an oddity that you would start to think, well, has the dog been out here all the time? What's going on? Where's Lacey? And he then empties the bucket of water. He takes off his clothes because what we also know about being on the ocean, Jim and Lisa, is that it's not just cold, it's very wet, isn't it? And particularly if you might be disposing of a body, you may get wet or if you decide to get out of the boat at any point, but it's wet business. But he places his clothes in the wash And I don't know about the baseline behavior. I don't know if he regularly washed his own clothes, but that just struck me as odd given how he seems to give Lacey all the chores to do. And why does he put his clothes in the the washing machine and wash them then? Right, because he's already told us about the hamper. Why wouldn't he just put the clothes in the hamper and do them as as a regular load instead of washing his clothes that he was wearing at that time immediately? more suspicious behavior. Yes, I would be asking questions about that. He says that he ate some pizza. Well, we know that they had pizza the night before and he drank some milk. But that does strike me as odd because if you're going out to a big dinner, you're probably not going to be munching on pizza just before when your family's gone to a massive effort, right, to create a massive family meal. And there you are 
eating pizza before. And even when people say, oh, well, maybe he hadn't eaten, but he had all this time. I mean, he was just having a leisurely time. Why would he not have time to grab something? Why is he eating then? Is it because he knows that perhaps he won't have time later on and that the dinner may never happen? I don't know. But to me, it just seems odd to eat. And then he goes off and showers and then he checks the answer machine. Right. And he sees that it's beeping. And that's when he hears, I think it was Ron that had left the message saying, can you bring some whipped cream? He'd asked about Lacey and they said that she wasn't there. Well, the fact that her car was still at the house, the fact that her purse was still at the house with her keys and her phone and her sunglasses, why would you not be worried? At why has the alarm that? rung? What is the problem? You Like, you're right, like you said, Laura, just the fact that the dog was outside in the backyard with the leash on it should have been a huge red flag. He hasn't heard from his wife in hours. He hasn't been there. And now the dog is there, a dog that she apparently walks every day. Why isn't he extremely concerned? Has she ever put the dog in the backyard and then gotten into somebody else's car to go somewhere? I mean, I mean, that could not have like happened. she took I mean, an Uber. It's, it's the holidays. You know, I could see, okay, maybe a girlfriend came by. Hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. Let's go shopping Yeah, but that's quick. not what was but, happening. She was supposed right. to be at her. He thought she was at her in-law's house. How does that happen? They didn't come pick her up. Right. I'm not saying they did, but I mean, you know, that's the first thing you might be like, but not you would with definitely, the dog, but you definitely would be raising it. I'm like, okay, which girlfriend is she with? Has, you know, the, is she over at the neighbors? Has she, you know, taken a treat? Has she made these cookies and taking them over to the neighbors? I mean, there was a lot of things that he could have been questioning. None of them would explain right leaving the dog in the backyard with a leash on it. None of them explained that. And that should have been a huge red flag for him. And then he should have looked around. Well, wait, her car is here. Is anything else of hers here? And he should have found her purse and her car keys and her phone. And that should have sent him through the roof. Well, that's the other thing. Her phone was in her car and apparently her phone was broken and people knew that her phone was broken. So why did he call her cell phone and leave her that message? Um, That's something that comes up later. All right. Well, I didn't know that. I mean, that's. I didn't know that either. So when he called, he he called her cell phone, not the home answering machine. He called both. He left a message. Right, Laura? He called both. I mean, now I'm thinking that he he must have done, but maybe it was the home line that he had called, which makes it even more strange that you're calling and she's not picking up. And let's say she does go to a neighbor's, you leave a note, right? Just popped over the road or the fact that he hadn't heard anything from her along with all these other circumstances. With Umberto and I, if we come back and one of us isn't here when we're expected, the first thing we do is obviously check the phone and we we want to check in and just make sure, and particularly when I was pregnant. But maybe that talks to him being so self-absorbed. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He's just a very self-absorbed individual. Well, that doesn't bode well either, does it? That is all he's doing is thinking about himself when his <laughs> wife's pregnant. That tells us that he's not invested at all. I guess on the other hand, why isn't he calling her phone again and again and again? Right. Once he once he thinks that he she's missing, that that's what he says to Sharon Roca uh, when he calls. Well, her then he must know there. that her phone doesn't work. How is it that her friends know? Does her family know that her phone is broken? What's going on? This in this glorious relationship, he doesn't know that her phone is broken. No, he's been away for for the whole day and is clearly not 
invested in the relationship at all. I mean, the, the phone call to the family is at 5.17. So there's quite a tight time window here, isn't there, from him getting home to them 5.17, hearing that message. The search well, you- for Lacey starts at 5.18, but it's Ron who calls the police at 5.47, right. which again, I find weird. Why, why is it not you? It was the person who's the husband. Why right. does Ron call the police? Because the alarm still hasn't gone off in Peterson's head. He still is acting as if everything's fine, which is a bunch of bullshit. Well, the two detectives arrive, the two Modesto detectives arrive, Alan Brocchini and John Bueller. They're the lead investigators on the case, and they responded to the call. And they find Lacey's keys, wallet, and sunglasses. They find that her purse is in the closet, and red flags are being raised for them just in terms of his casualness and his nonchalance and his lack well he's just very calm so again you know i always give people the benefit of the doubt perhaps this is someone who is um unflappable and just very calm cool and collected but it continues into even the interview that they have with him where he's not showing any concern at all when this is completely out of the blue abnormal behavior for lacy yeah, that's where so you would shocking. expect some concern, wouldn't you? Some concern for their welfare at the very least, even if you're an unflappable person. Right. When you see that that video of him being, uh, you know, talking to the police officer, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, my father is very calm and he almost goes inward when there's a crisis. He's very stoic in his affect, but his actions are the opposite. He gets laser focused and he springs into action, which doesn't mean he's going to be crying and being hysterical about a crisis. But I don't, I mean, as a layperson, just watching that interview with Scott Peterson uh, talking to the detective, he's literally like leaning back in his chair. His hands are in his pockets. His pelvis is wide open. There is absolutely no tension in his body. And he's not like, okay, what are we going to do? My wife is out there somewhere. Maybe she's hurt. Maybe she's, you know, had preterm labor. You know, there is absolutely no what do we no say? Emergency. Like, no, no, no urgency. Yeah, no, no, no urgency. No urgency. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Because, and why? Why would that be? Because he knows there's no need to be urgent. There's no need. Well, he's drinking a coffee. He's seemingly cooperative, calm. But the, both detectives, Jim, said he didn't ask questions. Right. So it's sometimes the absence. It's the omission that we're be, we're looking for because we've dealt with those cases and everyone reacts differently. But most concerned people would ask questions. Well, what are you going to do? Well, how's that going to work? Well, when will I know anything? Well, what should we be doing? How can we help? Well, what should we do? These sorts of things are really important. Can I take your number? When can we speak again? These sorts of things where sometimes family members are a real pain because they are so needing to know, insistent and persistent and urgent about what's... But you don't understand, officer. She isn't someone who just takes herself off. Mm -hmm. She isn't someone, you know, these sorts of things that are said. And that's it's the omission of things that actually they were more concerned about. But in that interview, the key thing that struck me was when they asked him about any marital issues, which, of course, you would ask about. And he says, no. And then he's asked again as the double check. Uh, So no no problems. Or And he goes, "Mm." he doesn't actually say no at that point. He just gives a "Mm," and sort of shakes his head. 
Well, we know that he cheated on Lacey at least three times, and we know that he's got Amber Fry. He's still in this relationship. And I think that's the point where he makes a decision not to say. And some people might say, well, that's about not wanting to, the extramarital affair, not wanting to be caught out. Well, the point is he's more concerned, if that is the case, about his image management and his reputation. He's more worried about that than his wife and his unborn child. That's equally not a good thing, right? If people are saying, oh, he just doesn't want to be found out that he's cheating. What's the worst thing here? Well, that they're dead and he doesn't, he's not considering that. He's not considering their welfare. He's considering his image. And I believe that's what we see the whole way down the line. Mm -hmm. So what does that tell us about his character? It's also about what happens when your wife and your unborn child is missing, that you choose you, right? Let's say Mm -hmm. he didn't have anything to do with it, but he still chooses him. So at the very least, he's a terrible person. But the fact is that he continues to preserve that lie, and he still tries to keep the relationship going with Amber the whole right, way throughout. And right, that is right. a huge tell. Absolutely. If he was actually concerned about his wife and child, he would have avoided any contact with Amber. He would have taken every opportunity to shut it down and say, that was a bad mistake. I have priorities now. I have to deal with this. Instead, he kept the lie going until he was forced into a position to have to reveal it to her. And then when he does, he's like, oh, I guess you haven't been watching the news. I guess you're not aware of the fact that that my wife and unborn son are missing and have been since Christmas Eve. He is 100 percent still trying to keep that relationship with Amber going, as opposed to saying it was the biggest mistake in my life. I never should have done it. I lied to you. I lied to her. And now I have to do everything in my power to find my wife and kid. No, not at all. Not his actions kind of are telling on himself, Jim. Right. That, that's yeah. what we would call it. His actions are telling on himself. Um, and moreover, leakage, he doesn't. Right? Yeah, leakage. He doesn't go out searching. And what Lacey's brother says, and what Sharon says, is that when Sharon tried to go and speak to him in the early hours of. Lacey being missing. He didn't want to be hugged by her. He tried to avoid her. And the same for Brent. And he was close to Brent, the brother, but he didn't want to engage with them. He didn't want to go out searching. So again, he's putting up scaffolding. And that's what I keep seeing. Linguistically, he's putting up scaffolding to the people who know him best. He's putting up barriers and scaffolding to the volunteers and her family. They're all out searching for her. He wasn't. So these are all, this is all leakage and things that we would look at to understand his behavior in the whole context of what's going on. And Amber Fry does find out that he was married on December the 30th and that Lacey was his wife. And she then calls Modesto police. And again, that's another important point because in the interview with Diane Sawyer, he says that he told her that's not what happened. So each time we can catch him in a lie, and that's really important, Jim, isn't it, for us to see when we see him lying, what he looks like, how he behaves. And each time he's forced into a position, it's not him doing things proactively of telling a person something because it's the right thing to do. He's doing it because he's forced to do it, and it's under duress. So on 
December 30th, now Amber is in the picture and she then starts working with the police, right? So it's then that the phone call on December the 31st happens. That's at the vigil. And it's actually initiated, first of all, by Amber. She calls him. He calls her back just before the vigil is about to happen. But the point is, he does carry on pretending that he's in Paris, that he wishes her a happy new year. He even makes up names for fake people that he's with because she says, oh, I can't remember who you're with. And he says, oh, Pascal and so on. He makes up all these things, more scaffolding, more lies. a pathological liar. I mean. Yeah. And he and, sounds plausible. Right. Right. That's what Can we go back a little bit? Yeah. I'm sorry, because we missed one important thing. And that was that a neighbor actually saw him loading up something big into the back of his truck. And he says that he put three umbrellas in the back of his truck. So let's talk about plausibility. Let's talk about what could have happened here. What he could have used those umbrellas to cover up Lacey's body in the back of that truck. So it is not a neutral event that he's putting these things in the back of his truck. It is also an enabling event. It's a way for him to actually get away with disguising her body in the back of his truck, driving to his warehouse where he has privacy, where he can prepare her body for disposal. And let's talk about disposal. If you want concealment, you have to bury the body out in those rural areas. And that takes a long time. That means you have to spend a lot more time figuring out how to cover up for you, yourself and create an alibi that covers more time. And that's difficult. Water is very easy. It swallows up bodies for a time and it can give you a chance to get away. And the fact that he would tie himself to the exact location where the bodies of his wife and 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 child would eventually float up shows me that his criminal sophistication level is very low. This is not an experienced criminal, but this is somebody who had no feeling and no remorse about killing his wife and child so that he could have the freedom to pursue another relationship. Laura's probably onto it. She's probably cracked it. He probably learned about those other bodies that were found in the bay and took his cues from there. I mean, that makes all the sense in the world. Uh, but something else Rabia and Ellen say is who would in the middle of the day or in the middle of the morning load their truck with their dead wife's body? Well, He's used to hiding in plain sight. I mean, he he's used to just doing what he wants and assuming that people are looking the other way. I mean, isn't he? Isn't that sort of part of his overinflated confidence about what he can get away with? And the other thing I want to ask you, and I've asked you this before, and I still don't understand it. If I killed my wife, I would act sad. I would, I would act with urgency and yet he doesn't. Right, and I don't, and I guess I'll never understand that. I think it was the same thing when we talked about Chris Watts or, you know, and several other people. Right. But I think, I think that you, what you don't understand is that this man is narcissistic. This man cares about himself. He doesn't care about other people. So he doesn't think about how other people might react to having someone they love who's pregnant with their child, how they might react. He's only thinking about himself. He's only thinking about his own perspective. And all he wants to do is cover dotting I's and crossing T's in terms of, of his alibi 
so that he can push that away. That can fade into history and he can move on for this new relationship. He isn't a sophisticated criminal. He doesn't know how to appease law enforcement officers. What he's able to do is clean up whatever crime scene there was to the extent where it was hasn't been found and then dispose of her body that was temporary concealment. And when her body floated up and his son's body floated up, it, it is what created the probable cause to arrest him. So he didn't do a good job. He wasn't that sophisticated, but he was lucky enough to have destroyed whatever forensic evidence existed at the house so that he was able he they he wasn't able to be arrested there wasn't any evidence or enough evidence for them to arrest him based on what they found at the house i mean i've seen people sadly in all sorts of cases kill in all manners and put bodies into suitcases cars trucks and so on and under pressure people do crazy things mm-hmm. yeah you know right. it's not all thought through every little detail and sometimes it's just in the act and i also think just with scott peterson the most significant thing for me is watching him on interview of watching him be interviewed by the police but the diane sawyer 11 minute interview where i see how hard he works to try and get her to believe in what he's selling And I think his personal power, Jim and Lisa, is also something he relies on, his eyes and the way that he looks. And I think he believes that he can persuade people to a different way of thinking. And I see him doing it with Diane Sawyer, and I see her instant reaction is that she is repelled and it's like she smells bullshit, like she Mm. physically smells it Mm. in the way that she acts, the look of... You you seriously expect us to believe that your eight-month pregnant wife was at peace with you cheating? You know, her instant reaction is the, the right one because right. what he's asking her to believe is absurd and it's absurd for all of us and we shouldn't be buying into absurd things that are being said and every all his language everything and the way that he uses it of fading facts and I can see cognitive load where he's trying to remember what he was meant to say. And when you're telling the truth, well, guess what? You don't have to remember anything. You don't no. get cognitive load. So we're going to get into that that detail. But just because you rationalize it of what you would do of having, yeah. you know, now researched lots of cases, mm-hmm. what people tend to do is put themselves in those situations, which if you're not a psychopath, if you're not a narcissist, it, it's very difficult to put yourself in that situation where you is all you're thinking about is you me myself and I and maybe you're overconfident that you can sell this new narrative and you can control the narrative and maybe you've seen another case where someone gets away with it Evelyn Hernandez and even though there wasn't much media what happened was a successful outcome for the killer in that body parts are still missing and it's still a mystery and what if that's what you believe you can get away with mm-hmm. and that's what the ideation is and then you start to act on it So, and sometimes it's a bit of luck too. And those same body parts were missing in this case when her body was recovered. And that, again, probably is not a coincidence. Did it happen because there's a serial killer abducting married pregnant women and dumping them in the bay? Or like you said, Laura, did he see this happen successfully and then he mimicked that behavior? This reminds me, by the way, of 
a very old case, the Jeffrey McDonald case from Fort Bragg. Mm-hmm. And he he claims that in the middle of the night, he was sleeping on the couch and and he got woken up by there were three guys by the end of the couch looking at him and he heard his wife scream jeffrey why are they doing this to me and his daughter screamed daddy daddy his wife his pregnant wife and her and their two daughters two-year-old and five-year-old were brutally murdered clubbed and beaten and stabbed multiple times and he gets on the dick cavett show and again a charming, handsome-looking guy, gets on there and basically was like a celebrity. And he was loving every moment of it. And while Dick Cavett was very, very cautious about asking him questions, because obviously he thought, this guy has to be devastated by what happened to his family. This guy actually was basically telling jokes and smiling and totally inappropriate, completely inappropriate. And this is exactly what Scott Peterson did. He he played to the audience. He got up there. He was actually a little more sophisticated about being able to hide or 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 pretend that he was concerned about Lacey and their unborn son. But he was nowhere near appropriate in his responses, in his persona, in his persona, in the way that he presented himself to the public. But he definitely wanted to present himself to the public. He wanted that limelight. Yes, and charm. You said it, Jim, charm being the manipulator. And when we come back into our next episode, we are going to talk about that interview and the run-up to it because I think the the Diane Sawyer interview and the other media interviews that he granted, and again, that's really important that he agreed to do after this passage of time of them being missing, that passage of time when it is time-critical When someone's missing like this, particularly a pregnant woman who's due, her due date is not that far off. It's time critical. The absence of his interview is even more important. And what he does say and what he doesn't say. So we're going to take the language apart. We have so much more to talk about um, in this very hard, heartbreaking case. Uh, But for now, this is Real Crime Profile signing out. Real Crime Profile was created by Jim Clemente, Laura Richards, and Lisa Zambetti. Produced by Laura Richards, Lisa Zambetti, Jim Clemente, and XG Productions. And distributed by Wondery. Editing by Nick Jaworski at Podcast Monster. Logo art by Jim Clemente. Music composed and performed by Simba Tsumba. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Real Crime Profile ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. The wait is over. So far, you're not losing. The only thing you're losing is my patience. Quickly, I see that. Bing! The queen of the courtroom is back. I didn't do anything. You wouldn't know the truth if it came up and slapped you in the face. I see he's not intimidated by anything. I can fix that. New cases. She wanted to fight me. Leave her alone. Okay, so, um... Not, this is not a so. This is a period. 
classic Judy. Did you sleep with her? Yes, Your Honor. You married his cousin. His brother. That's not him. Yes, ma'am. I would make a beeline for the door. The Emmy Award-winning series returns. How did I know that? I have a crystal ball in my head. It's an all-new season. It's streaming. You can say anything. <laughs> Judy Justice, only on Freebie.